0: Well, welcome everybody to episode two of season three of the Pogel podcast. Our topic today has something to do with icebreakers and best practices. Sounds like something that I need to pay attention to, uh, maybe in preparation for a party or something like that. But I think it goes a lot deeper from there. So uh, we have as our uh, guest host today is Siobhan Julian, and I'm going to turn it over to Siobhan.
1: Thank you, Wayne. Uh, Welcome, everyone. It is my pleasure to introduce Andrew Toda McCarty today. Andrew is a physics instructor at San Jose State University in California. At San Jose State, he is the co-coordinator of the Physics 2A course, uh, which is an algebra-based mechanics course that is taught by a team of instructors that meet before each class to maintain alignment across the different sections. Uh, before he was at San Jose State, Andrew worked for Summit Public Schools as a high school physics teacher, go high school uh, teacher, science teachers using Pogle, and teacher professional development manager. He also wrote a project-based physics curriculum for Summit Public Schools. Andrew is part of the Leadership Institute at the Exploratorium in San Francisco and coaches new and mid-career teachers through that program. So welcome, Andrew.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Yes, we are very excited to have you here today because I think you're going to bring you're bringing a very new voice and some new information um, to the Poggle community. So this is obviously a Pogle podcast. Um, Andrew, tell us a little bit about how you came across Pogle and how you came to use it in your own classroom.
2: Yeah, so I learned about Poggle when I first started teaching, but I really only knew about it secondhand. I was fortunate to be a fellow in the Knowles Teacher Initiative. And there were poster sessions and different teachers coming together, sharing practices. So I learned about Pogol through them, through other people. Uh, But I didn't ever attend any official workshops. It seemed at the time it was mostly for for chemistry teachers, and I was a physics teacher. Uh, But then later in my career, I attempted to to offer some kind of Pogol-inspired activities for my physics classes. Um, And I worked with a chemistry teacher at my school to, to do that. Uh, my first real contact with the Pogel project involved submitting these activities for a review to get feedback. Um, and then after doing that a few times, I joined the Pogel Activity Clearinghouse uh, to, to, to submit and author and continue to author activities. Uh, and then I started signing up for some official workshops as well to, to learn more. So I've written about 20 activities, published five of them with the pack, uh, and I'm just continuing to use and develop Pogel for my classroom.
1: Awesome. That is wonderful, Andrew. I love hearing about how the Pogol Activity Clearinghouse or the PAC has gotten people involved and writing new activities is always such a crucial part of uh, building and expanding the Pogol community. But you're here today to share with us some strategies that you've been using in your class specifically icebreaker numbers and the five practices. Now, I'm sure that everyone has heard of icebreakers, but you are using it in a very different way. So please tell us, uh, what are icebreaker numbers and how do you use them in your class?
2: Yeah, so I first started using daily icebreakers when I was teaching online on Zoom as a way to get students to just unmute and start talking when they join breakout (laughs) rooms for for group work. Uh, So The goal is to help them build community and get to know each other, and they're in different groups, but also just to say something in those first few minutes of class and really get the class going. Many of them were questions asking about favorites, such as "What is your favorite spice?" And after sharing, I would have students alphabetize their responses to record them on a numbered list. And so this gives each student a number for the day. That's that's kind of random. Um, it's not exactly random, but it, it mixes it up. Um, I often have group roles in class, but I always like having students take turns reporting out, rather than establish that as a particular role for one student in each group. And so uh, once each student has a number, I can easily rotate through those numbers and say, you know, the ones are reporting out for this this discussion, and then the next time the twos are reporting out. Um, And so the icebreaker numbers allow everyone to have a chance to speak up for the group, uh, but it's also predictable. They know ahead of time they'll be the ones sharing, and so they can get ready and feel comfortable, and the rest of the group can help them prepare. Um, I also use them sometimes when I'm interacting with the group. So if I am trying to ask the, the group questions, I can spread the questions out over multiple students, pushing them to build off of each other, rather than one single student share. So I'll you know, just use the numbers and refer to just go through them in order, one, two, three, four, um, and kind of pepper the questions around the, the group. Sometimes also, if I see that many groups are getting stuck somewhere, I'll call out a number and all of those students will come up to me and we'll do a quick huddle. I can give them some instruction or check in and then they can spread that knowledge back to all of their groups. So it's it's a way to have sort of flexible roles that in the moment, if I need a role that I didn't assign, I can quickly assign it for that moment in class and, and just get different students to do different things in the classroom.
1: That's really interesting. We get, uh, I know for me, I actually ask those favorite questions already. I have them on my paper, like uh, instead of a date. So I've never really thought of utilizing that um, when I'm having students like working teams. That's that's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, And the other strategy that you use is the five practices. So tell us about that.
2: There's a book. The Five Practices for Orchestrating Test-Based Discourse in Science by Jennifer Cartier and others that identifies five practices teachers can use to promote rigorous discourse. There's also a math version of this book for math teachers with the same practices. The practices are anticipating, monitoring, selecting, sequencing, and connecting. Mm,
1: interesting. And I know for Pogel, I think a lot of Pogle practitioners are very familiar with monitoring. That's something that, that will definitely happen in a, anytime I do a Pogle activity, but the other ones you know, are, are not something I'm actively you know, aware of in my classroom. So share, so sure. what is uh, anticipating? I think that's the first one.
2: Yeah, so first, teachers need to anticipate how students will respond to different parts of the activity uh, and what resources they might identify as they work with their group. Based on what the teacher anticipates, they can then create a monitoring chart to help identify these productive resources and keep track of who in the classroom has them. I create these monitoring sheets for each class and use them to track ideas, as well as student participation, across each activity. The monitoring chart gives me a focus as I listen into the group conversations. Uh,
1: That's interesting. Is this monitoring chart something that your students see? Are, are, Are they aware of that, or is it just you?
2: Yeah, they're definitely aware of it. They see I have a clipboard in my hand and I, they see me making marks as I'm looking over their shoulders and, and listening. And they'll see me look at it as I reference uh, their, their work and their ideas, but they don't see that the exact chart exactly. And so they don't see the, the marks that I make on it, but they know that I'm doing something.
1: Huh. I, that is very interesting. Do they get a little self-conscious when you do that?
2: I think maybe at first they might have been you know, curious, you know, what, what is he doing uh, while he's listening in, not, not necessarily saying anything, just making marks. Uh, but I think they, they've gotten used to it and they, they ignore it now. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone seems to pay attention as they, they see me walking around.
1: Awesome. And then the next ones we have, are you said, selecting and sequencing. So uh, how do you use that?
2: Yeah, so just before reporting out, uh, I take a minute to step back and look at all of the notes that I took on the monitoring sheet uh, while I was monitoring. And then I select and sequence the ideas and resources in a way to help build a cohesive narrative. So these really are those next two practices. Uh, I start by selecting simpler ideas before moving on to more complex ones. That's one way to sequence. I also try to start with students who are maybe less certain of their responses or students that have a mix of resources that are productive and maybe unproductive or less productive so that we can directly work through those preconceptions as a class.
1: And you mentioned this is before reporting out. So is this, does this inform like who you choose to report out and what um, questions you're asking or what you're having them share when they're reporting out?
2: Exactly. Um, Instead of having each group share, uh, where there's just a bunch of presentations that maybe aren't connected together, I identify who I want to share. And sometimes I'll lead them in a little bit. And I'll say, I I heard you talking about such and such. Can you tell me more about that? So they know what part of their conversation I want them to share. And it also is a way that I can let everyone contribute and and not just have one person share all the ideas. Because sometimes then the discussion falls flat after that. If someone gives a clear, cohesive description, no one really wants to follow that. So I, I <laughs> do a little bit more orchestrating uh, by kind of picking and choosing in a way that I think will allow everyone to to contribute and and build off of each other.
1: Yeah, I really like that, especially for the reporting out strategy. That way, like you said, it's not just one group sharing one thing. It's it's ensuring that again, that um, selecting and sequencing as a way to ensure that everyone is participating, everyone has something to contribute um, in a meaningful way that builds that conversation. And it is more, it sounds like it's definitely more of a discussion than just a blanket sort of sharing of ideas. Um, All right, and then connecting.
2: Yeah, so the the last practice is connecting and it's, it's happening as different folks are sharing out. Um, the idea is that if we're building something together we need to connect the ideas from one group to the next um, and so that everything is kind of coming together um, ideally students are making those connections and they're they're referencing each other they're saying something like similar to the previous group we found um, or maybe we we thought about this differently um, but I see the the similarities and really trying to draw them to each other's ideas uh, so that it really is this, this discussion. It's this, this back and forth of, of ideas. Um, it can take a lot of uh, work at first. Students often need support from the teacher to, to connect to the other groups rather than just prepare and, and share their ideas. So sometimes you need to lead them in a little bit or, or model that. Uh, you can also ask direct questions. Uh, how is this similar to what the previous group just shared uh, to get them in the practice of, of connecting themselves?
1: Yeah, and how, do you, how would you model that? Because I think the direct questions I, I was thinking about, um, you know, what are, what are things that you do to help your students, um, you know, like specific questions and things that you say to help model that um, connecting practice? Yeah.
2: One thing I, I think is always great, you can always ask them to start by sharing what, what's similar or different from what the previous group shared. Uh, that that directs their contribution a little bit and automatically forces them to connect to one of the previous groups, um, and it can just build a habit of always trying to notice similarities and, and differences, which can be really instructive. Um, you can also just have some sentence starter lead-ins, you know, similar to blank, uh, or um, we found something different, contrasting to what the previous groups shared, or building off of what so and so said. Um, you can have those uh, sentence starters up around the room, uh, projected during the discussion, uh, on on their tables. Uh, a variety of resources can help them use the language of connecting to other people, uh, so that their their shareouts um, when they're reporting out uh, really focus around what everyone is is saying, not just what they were preparing to to share.
1: Yeah. Uh... So Andrew, just so you know, this is the, the first season that I am um, co-hosting the Pogle podcast. And one of the things I said at the beginning of the season is I'm looking forward to learning new things. And I already feel <laughs> that I've learned so much that I can't wait to take it back to my own classroom and uh, utilize these things. So specifically, um, this is all fantastic. Um, how do you connect these strategies, like specifically when you're doing Pogo activities?
2: I think these practices best connect to the concept invention questions within a POGL activity. So teachers can really anticipate how students will will phrase their responses, what connections they might make between the models and the key concepts that teachers are hoping that they, they discover and invent. When students are at that point in the activity, that's when teachers can really carefully monitor their responses, see what ideas, examples, resources students bring. In each of the different groups, and then focus on selecting and sequencing those ideas. So then the reporting out is more of a discussion to invent the concept a second time, mm-hmm. now as a whole class.
1: I, I I like that so much, and and um, in thinking about you know just what you've said so far, uh, this I realized that I was doing a little bit of this already, but I think your language makes it so much clearer and, and gives much more of a purpose to that. Um, that Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, what else? Anything else for uh, POGEL practice?
2: Yeah, I think uh, when you're doing these discussions, uh, these, these reporting out um, times, it can be really helpful to have a student record this class discussion um, it's it's a lot to facilitate and focus on who I'm going to call on next and how I'm going to lead them in and how I'm going to help them connect to the other students. Um, so it really helps take that that off of the teacher. Um, you can get that moment of, of pause and planning while someone's recording what another student just said. Um, and to do this, you can cycle through groups and, and pick an icebreaker number to call on different students to, to come up and fill that role. And so if you haven't selected someone already, you can kind of bring the two practices together. And that's something that I often do um, when I'm yeah. using these strategies.
1: Yeah, and when you say record, are they uh, monitoring like on a whiteboard? Or are they taking bullet points? Uh, how are they recording the discussion?
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of whiteboards. I have a mm-hmm. lot of them in, in different sizes, uh, whiteboards on the walls, whiteboards that are about table size, individual whiteboards. Um, so I'll usually then have someone come up to the front and record, um, on a big whiteboard on the wall while we're doing this. And then individual groups might record some of those notes um, later on to, to capture them. Sometimes I'll have them type. If I might project an empty slideshow slide and they'll type there. And then I have a resource I can bring out later and I can share with students easily that way. Um, you can also, if you have a, a document camera, they could be writing on paper and that can be projected so everyone can see. So. Um, it's pretty adaptable to whatever resources you have and and your style of um, recording information and what Mm -hmm. the tools that you use.
1: I'm also a really big whiteboard fan. (laughs) They're a great simple tool in the classroom. Um, Anything else about uh, using these with the Pogo practice?
2: I think it's just something that it makes your time really intentional when students are working. Um, Sometimes in a good POGL activity, it's it's working well, and the the students are all working along and and moving productively, and the teacher then doesn't seem to have a a clear role. Um, Sometimes you're not sure, because you don't want to interrupt when they're having really good conversations. So the five practices can really help clarify the the teacher's role um, and how to use your time while you're listening and what you're specifically listening for to make sure those reporting out sessions are especially productive.
1: I love this all so much. Um, so I, as this is very clear, I'm completely new to the, the icebreaker numbers and, um, and the five practices. So what are your tips for listeners who, like me, um, haven't used these before? How do we get started in implementing this in our classroom?
2: Yeah, so you can start icebreakers with icebreaker numbers right away. It's really easy to find lists of icebreakers online, and it might be a practice that you already have, um, or at least do sometimes in your class. And then you just need a way for students to, to rank their responses. So I usually just have them alphabetize them. It's an easy thing that I don't have to plan something specific each time. Um, if it's a question that's numerical, they can just rank them that way. Um, otherwise, you can just find some way to get them to have a semi-random way of of putting themselves in in order. And then just cycle through the numbers to use them in any way that's convenient. Um, You can maybe start with when you're doing small group stuff and you're checking in a group, just the questions you're going to ask, ask them in the order of those numbers, and then maybe start with a different number first next time. Um, That can be an easy way to to get started. And then just explore. And whenever you need uh, a volunteer, just call out a number and... You can use them that way to to not have that that pause of of waiting for someone to volunteer um, when you're in class.
1: Love it. And what about the five practices? Where do we start with that?
2: For the five practices, I recommend getting the book um, and and reading it with colleagues. It's it's a lot. Um, there are a lot of great examples in the book, but it's it's a lot to all add into your practice at once. It really helps having a learning community as you get started. I learned about them, but didn't start using them for, for a while until I had other colleagues that were also interested and we could plan together. Um, and I'm, I'm not an expert at all of the five practices. I've just read the book and have worked really hard to, to use them and use them regularly. And so I'd say don't be afraid of them, just try to get started. Each practice is really, really helpful. And all together, they're really, really powerful.
1: It definitely sounds like that. Well, speaking of which, um, how did you come to start using these strategies? Because you kind of mentioned that, you know, when you got started, uh, it took a little while. And, you know, when you had a community of other teachers to talk with about that, it, it helped you out. But how did you really start to use this in the first place? How did you find it?
2: Yeah. Um, I started using icebreakers when I started teaching on Zoom uh, because I noticed a lot of students were hesitant to come off mute and talk with their group. Sometimes they'd be sharing in the chat, but you really don't get the back and forth discussion that way. And so the icebreakers was a way to just get them talking, get them to unmute, get them to start to get to know each other, start to build community each day. Um, it's just something that's so important, and it's important, you know, in in a physical classroom as well, but it became so apparent how important it was when I was teaching online. Um, and then the numbers came in a little bit later. I noticed I was hearing a lot of the same voices when when uh, groups were reporting out, and it just gave me a way to push other students to speak without cold calling them. Um, and once I got it started, I just kept using them in in different ways. and so it's something that that's really built up kind of organically once I started using them. Uh, try to get a, a larger range of participation in my class.
1: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Like I said, I, I ask a little icebreaker. I ask similar sort of questions. I have them on my paper, but I never thought of of utilizing it with um, with anything else. And my students already I, I ha- they they like to talk about it. I'll, I'll ask like favorite Halloween candy, and it does engender that discussion. Um, but I love doing that purposefully like like you're doing. Uh, and what about the five practices? How did you start with that? How did you find out about that?
2: Yeah, so I, I first learned about it uh, through the Knowles Teacher Initiative. They they gave us the book and we had some professional development sessions on it. And so I had a bit of a community to start with, which was was great. But these were teachers from all around the country and they weren't at the school that I was at. So I started using them a little bit at first and, and found them to be useful, but they didn't show up into regular practice. It wasn't an everyday thing. Um, later, when I was working on a, a course with a colleague and we were co-planning together, we we both used them. And so we built that into our planning and and were able to use them more regularly. I also found it a lot easier on Zoom. Um, you you have a, a different space, you have, you have fewer distractions, and so it was... Very easy for me to, to monitor when, when students were interacting on Zoom. And I could look at their work. I could hear them as they're responding. Um, I could more easily look down and plan who I'm going to call on next while one group or one person is sharing out. Um, and so that helped me really find success and, and get a lot better at it in a way that was just a bit easier. And so I'm back in person now and for all of my classes, and I'm kind of re figuring it out. Um, It's, it's, it's harder and I need to to do things a little bit differently. So I'm still working through that and and trying to figure out um, what does it look like now in my classroom?
1: I love hearing that um, good teaching techniques came out of Zoom, (laughs) out of Zoom classes, right? There's a benefit to everything. I will also add that during our weird hybrid year for me, I came up with uh, um, a, a new way of, presenting my course, which I think is a, was a huge improvement. So it's like, it's sometimes funny how the pandemic forces us to actually improve and get better and develop good selling, uh, solid practices. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this, Andrew. This is incredible. I have learned so much over the course of this, and I'm looking forward to taking this back to my own classroom. I'm going to get that book and read it and see if I can get my colleagues to read it too. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening, Um, and uh, I'll hand it back to Wayne.
0: Thank you, Siobhan, and thank you, Andrew, for those great tips on how to encourage meaningful student discussion in the Pogo classroom. At this point, we want to hear from you, our listeners. How do you encourage student conversation? Do you have similar methods to what Andrew has described, or do you have other ways to get your students talking? Let us know by commenting on Facebook using hashtag The Pogel Podcast to find this episode on the site and join the conversation. We will return in a couple of weeks with another episode of the Pogel Podcast. Thanks for listening.